This is Straight from the Source podcast. Everything you need to know about the apparel industry. From two insiders working on the sourcing side and the brand side. Whether you are in design, merchandising, retail, or production, this is the podcast for you. Hi, welcome. This is Fatima, and with me is my amazing co-host, Gio. It's a pleasure to be here this week, Fatima. So we're covering a really important topic today, the coronavirus and the impact on the supply chain and what to expect moving forward. Gio, would you mind just giving us a brief background on corona and what it is and what's been happening? Definitely. Um, Currently, there are around 73,000 people in China um, that have contracted the virus. Uh, and it ha- and approximately 2,000 have also died. Currently, it is mainly focused in China, even though there have been um, cases in a handful of other countries, mostly the countries that are nearby. And this epidemic has been traced to a live animal market in the Wuhan province. And is um, we speculate that this um, disease... Um, was transmissioned from um, an animal that is similar to a scaly anteater that's called a pangolin into humans. Wow. You know, this raises an interesting question even before we go too deep into um, the virus and the implication of ethical food sourcing. Because, Gio, I'll take us back a little bit to 2003 when we had the SARS outbreak. And it was due to a very similar reason of like the unregulated wild meat market trade that was taking place in China. But back in that time period, China was not the global superpower that it is today. It accounted for maybe 4% of global GDP, whereas now it accounts for maybe 16%, close to 16% of global GDP. So because we're so integrated, the effects are much larger. I want to talk about what the current state of things are in China right now. So in many of the areas in China, your movement is restricted. For instance, in the Xi'an province, you are allowed to leave your house only once every three days. And that also caveated by the fact that only one member of the family can leave that residence at that, at that um, three-day range, during that three-day range to go to the local food market and whatnot. And it's further restricted by the fact that you have to show ID. You cannot move from one neighborhood to another or have guests over. So naturally, when you are quarantined across China, production has come to a halt. The way you are going to conduct business is is almost near impossible, especially given that it is a production hub. So a lot of the work is not done by telecommuting. You really have to have your physical infrastructure, i.e. your people, your resources, and your talent, they need to show up and really create. And this affects a lot of different industries, not just apparel. But today we are going to focus a little bit more closely on apparel, but it has global implications for all sorts of products and all sorts of supply chain because China really is a supplier of raw materials. Mm. Uh, And to be a little bit more specific, in a way, it's not so much that things ground down to a halt, but um, the outbreak of this epidemic dovetailed very closely with um, 
the Lunar New Year holiday. We often call it Chinese New Year or CNY in the industry because we like to abbreviate everything. Of course we do. <laughs> it's a fast-paced <laughs> business. Um, and the factories and mills, etc., were already closed, but those close dates have been extended. Um, this situation is very fluid. Um, originally, we thought that a lot of them were going to reopen on February 10th. Then that quickly became February 18th, and now we're looking at the 24th. Right, right. And you know, another point that's really worth mentioning, especially as you talk about open dates and close dates and Lunar New Year, is the fact that um, we still don't have extremely clear visibility into what is actually going on on ground level in China. I think you and I have a little more visibility because we have friends there, we have colleagues, so we're hearing a lot of things ground up that other people are not. Even with the astronomical 73,000 who have been diagnosed, mm -hmm. they've been diagnosed via using these testing kits. Now, what we're hearing, the latest stuff, and I believe this was covered also by the New York Times and various other reputed publications, um, they're running short of testing kits so that one other way of diagnosing is obviously symptom-based or using a CAT scan. Now there's a huge backlog in hospitals in terms of using CAT scans. It can lead to misdiagnosis or misattribution. And if the Chinese government is not allowing their medical professionals to diagnose based on symptoms, then that becomes a little problematic for us on a global scale because now we don't really know how many real cases are being reported, how much of it is being underreported, how many people have access or don't have access to proper medical care because their cases are not being confirmed because of this massive testing kit shortage. That kind of brings us to a larger point of, you know, having that inbuilt trust with your partners. This is not talking about trust with the relationships that we have with our suppliers, our manufacturers, our mills. They're oftentimes wonderful strategic partners. But really, when you have a country where sometimes you are not 100% sure whether you are getting the truth, it makes it difficult, even from a high-level business planning, to trust the information, to trust that this won't happen again in the future, to trust that they are being as truthful as possible and as transparent as possible in this particular situation. And uh, once again, because it is an evolving situation, um, for example, when suppliers said that they were reopening on the 10th, I'm sure that is what they genuinely believed. But um, as the number of infections has climbed, etc., um, as you pointed out, it really centers around the restriction of movement of people and kind of isolation of individuals. So even as factories and mills reopen, they will not reopen with their complete workforces. It'll be around 50%. So you think wow. of it as more of like a oh. staggered reopening. Oh, so you're reopened possibly on the 24th. We don't fully know. Mm -hmm. At this point, we expect them to open on the 24th. And even with that, it's not at full capacity. It's at almost maybe 50%. Yes, yeah, so like half the wow. workforce. Um, but once again, it depends on what type of supplier we're talking about because 
um, a sourcing office that is more administrative is already open and we've already started receiving right. some packages from overseas. On a side note, there is no way to contract the virus from opening a package. Yes, rest assured, everybody. <laughs> you know, this is, before we even go further, and I think it is also really important to remember that these are human beings that we're mm-hmm. talking about Absolutely. in a moment of deep crisis. So if nothing else, let's make sure to be really sensitive mm-hmm. while having this conversation and to try and get the best information out there before we vilify and demonize. A lot of these problems are stemming from maybe not so not the greatest government policies around transparency, communication, and regulating certain sourcing um, aspects. In this particular case, it's the wild meat trade. So let's keep that in mind as we move forward. But one One thing I do want to discuss now, a little bit brass taxes, if you will, what do you think, what do you think realistically already has been the amount of time that people have been out of factories, out of the production place? Uh, And then maybe let's start thinking about what is actual short term implication, what we can really expect out of that. I would put the number now around three to three and a half weeks of delay. Why is that, Gio? Because, you know, uh, the the epidemic really got identified and broadly announced the last week of December. Wouldn't it be more a month and a half? Well, um, as we discussed earlier, um, because the um, epidemic kind of came to a head during Lunar New Year, Mm -hmm. many of the mills and factories and sample rooms were already going to be closed for a month. Um, Got it, got it. So now it's really time to reopen would have been maybe uh, the third week of January to middle to maybe the first week of February, the last week of January, sorry. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So in real time, we're really looking at maybe about a good solid three weeks worth of losses. Now, from my personal experience, and I will take listeners back to different examples across different countries, different time periods of when we did experience production delays. So the latest one that comes to mind was last year when we had a a executive election in Bangladesh where we were electing the prime minister. And that is an important time for labor unions to come together to have their voices heard. So, and by mind you, they also had our support. So our workers joined a global protest for about three to four days. And all in all, our production facilities were affected maybe holistically one week, but I would say even less than that. There was some staggered staffing um, in the facility, so there was some production going out. But even that week, maybe let's say to be generous, a week and a half Mm -hmm. delay actually took us about a good two, two and a half months to catch up on. Mm -hmm. That does not sound realistic or plausible, but if you think about a production production facility really every day that you are not producing Mm -hmm. is just overheads that you have to cover and when you are talking about especially my types of factories which are mid to large you have production pre-planned months ahead so you're always on a very strict timeline and if you lose one day that means 
you have to now find time to make up for that one day while you are still continuing the work that has been scheduled for you on that day. Mm -hmm. So this was a lot of overtime on our end. This was also using air to ship because we normally prefer to use ship for environmental reasons, for cost reasons. It's something that we're in very close agreement with mm -hmm. our client partners. That all sort of went out the window. We had to cover shipping costs. We had to cover airfare. We had to even give certain percentages off and it really hurt our mm -hmm. short-term cash flow. And for our client end, it did create a level of uncertainty where they did have some conversations with us about saying, well, we need a very, very close um, status update from you every other day to really understand where we are from a unit point of view, volume point of view. So in order to make sure that we don't need to bring in maybe a nominated um, second tier supplier to help mitigate some of the issues and you know we work we tend to work with slightly larger clients so they do have first second third tier manufacturers they have um, a more diversified production base so for them the hit was not as hard but we ultimately were able to overcome and you know along the way they were also very cooperative and really helped us as well but it had huge costs from an administrative planning point of view huge amount of pressure on our production line guys on our managers to those of us who are directly client facing to be extremely transparent and to say you know this is happening to this has happened to now we're expecting delays and the products that would be delayed would be three months out but it happened during winter very similar timing to this and it was going to affect their summer sales which is is a tough pill for clients to swallow because summer is one of the largest seasons for apparel sales especially for the types of work that we were doing so all in all there was a lot of constant leaning in and basically clients preparing themselves to immediately turn to second degree or second tier manufacturers to try and mitigate production to maybe even saying like we'll maybe advertise a little bit less mm -hmm. of one unit versus another and mind you this was only for maximum a week and a half disruption Yes, but um, it's important to remind our listeners, or as many of our listeners know, um, in the garment industry, all, not all, but multiple seasons are simultaneously happening in different stages of production. Absolutely. So, for example, um, a mill in China is closed because of the coronavirus. In this case, um, that affects... Um, development yardages for spring 21 that could be um yardages that need to be sent to garment factories for holiday 20 and that can be delays for um fall production yeah absolutely and so you can see how it seems like you have a lot of time but it's actually not true mm -hmm. it's one of those industries where everything is happening really quickly and very simultaneously so planning disruptions are very difficult to deal with and this is when seasoned professionals really need to step in and have emergency contingency plans if god forbid this 
this epidemic in China continues for much longer, the effects of it are going to be wide-reaching because the question is not just do you have a cut-and-sew factory mm -hmm. that you can just go to at, the, at a moment's notice. It's also understanding are there fabric alternatives that you can use? Do you have fabric in stock, perhaps, that you could be dipping into? Do you have mills in India that could be providing you with the same fabric fiber composition. Can you even further consolidate? Do you have manufacturers in your portfolio that are vertically integrated? Because if they're vertically integrated, a lot of times, you know, it's actually a cost saving to formulate your own fabric in the facility, cut down on the lead time, cut down on the cost and have it both produced and cut and sew under one roof, which, you know, is a, is a solution that I personally love. But these are some of the tough questions that brands and production managers really now have to answer. And what they really have to also look at is, are we over-reliant and over-dependent on a particular country? Definitely. Um, diversity is the name of the game when it comes to supply chain. I think this kind of gets us into some of the overarching long-term trends we've been talking about from our first episode where we talked about the China tariffs and that there's been this like longer trend to move production away from China, mostly because of the increasing hourly rate of labor. Yes. But then there's been these blips on the radar, um, the China tariffs and now the coronavirus, that um, in the short term don't really have much solutions. Exactly. You can counter one fabric here and there, probably one that is cellulosic, not really if it's synthetic as much. Yes. Um, and then um, longer term solutions obviously is to diversify your supply chain. Um, ideally, vertical integration is always uh, definitely helps mitigate these types of delays. But even all vertical fabrics are not necessarily coming from the country where cutting and sewing is still happening. It could just mean that the vendor sourced the fabric for you and it still comes from China? Yes, absolutely. So understanding really the root origins of where your components come from. And mind you, I understand it sounds incredibly daunting, but this is such an example during our lifetime of seeing the fallout of not knowing where products are made, not knowing where things come from, because the, the delays in production, the delay in really getting your products into stores when you've created a demand base is very tough because that oftentimes can mean you would lose a customer and those customers are hard won. And just to add a little bit to the macro trends, you know, there are also other things that we see emerging in China. A lot of the protests in Hong Kong that have been mm -hmm. taking place, um, just to lightly touch on, or even some of the labor re-education camps mm -hmm. that has been getting a lot of attention lately. We do have to sit at a point and ask ourselves that when we choose a partner, what are we saying yes to inadvertently? or even maybe overtly, and we have to make a decision on what values we most cherish, and also couple that with, well, you know, does this make sense from a business point of view? And before we lived in a more globalized world, we could say, no, if it's the cheapest, it makes the most sense. But I think now we know that one situation 
never stays contained within that particular mm -hmm. region. It has global implications everywhere. If we say we want to source ethically in the States, then we have to source ethically in China, in Bangladesh, everywhere. Our values cannot vary by country of where we're residing. It has to be a more global value system. Definitely. One of the things that I think makes our industry so exciting is everything is interconnected. So things that seem not related to fashion at all, like a virus, end up impacting supply chains, capacity deliveries, uh, and we are all connected together. And one of the things you said earlier that I love so much is you talked about our dear friends and colleagues who are overseas in China um, at the heart of where this epidemic is taking place and we really um, want to spiritually be with them and kind of support them through what I imagine is a very difficult and troubling time. Yeah, absolutely. Let's also take a moment to talk about what are some of the things to expect in the long run and what are some of the things that we should be looking to do anyway. So, mm -hmm. for instance, if this uh, the virus outbreak is not contained soon, you know, we already know that we're going to be looking at production delays and we're going to be really feeling it in the next few months for the immediate cut and sew mm -hmm. products, if not right now. And large companies such as Amazon are asking their retailers to advertise certain mm -hmm. SKUs less. Um, and they're trying to work on emergency strategies right now to sort of stockpile goods because they see this containment not being... Um, maybe not resolving itself as quickly as one would hope. Mm. And I think maybe we should all follow their lead because they have over 100 million products on their website that's currently coming from China. So they're taking this very seriously, yeah. and I think so should we. You know, with long-term global trends of rising labor and not having enough transparency from officials about the state of workers, about how things are being produced, about having independent media verification, can make things troubling because you don't know what's coming ahead of you. And, you know, there may be even further tariff talks in the future. It's not completely off the table yes a lot of people are saying that if trump were to win a second term um that there could be a renewed round of tariffs basically the speculation is that he got rid of the first round of tariffs because he was nervous that would inc impact the economy negatively and make it his re-election harder Yes, and, and again, not to get too political, but I would say not just Trump, but I think, you know, even if it's Sanders or someone else from the Democratic Party, I don't think this conversation is fully off the table, or rather, let's just say, we haven't seen the last of it. So with all of these trends, I would say these are the few things that we should be doing the long and short run. You really need to map out your own supply chain, really understand where the component parts are coming from, you know, whether it's through a dashboarding process, whether it's through internal workshops, if there was ever a time, it's right now and you may say, look, we are so frantic, we are just so frantic catching up. Yes, catch up, take a breath, but this is a priority. It's really important for you to identify which countries, which regions you are extremely dependent and reliant on. And this is not just advice for the really large firms or the large brands, the mid-sized brands. This is for every single brand out there that is producing overseas. 
and even for U.S. brands because a lot of the fabrics are being imported from your overseas suppliers and partners. So it is critical that you understand where your products and fabrics and fibers are coming from and then have an emergency contingency plan. So have a, a good idea of what sort of products and materials and fibers you use what are some of the alternatives that you can use? Where else can you source it from? Maybe have a nominated second tier of suppliers that you run a small pilot program with each year. And maybe step out of maybe say East Asia and now focus also on a little more on South Asia. You know, having had a lot of experience with South Asia myself and I'm from Bangladesh for some of our more ardent listeners and I source from South Asia quite a bit and there has been a movement towards more transparency. Seven out of the ten top manufacturers in the world are now in Bangladesh because of the amount of media attention that we had gotten rightfully so after 2013 building collapse where we lost many many individuals and it's it's a really sad moment in history for us, but it forced us to get better and it forced us to be more accountable. And it's a good example of how client partners can work with you to make you more accountable, to make you behave better. And our local labor market is so much better off for it. So we want to keep that trend going. We want clients to be more engaged and we want them to sort of get in our business a little bit. And we'd encourage that for wherever in the world you are producing to have really frank and honest conversations with your suppliers about their labor conditions, about how they're sourcing, about traceability for them. And then last but not the least, I think it's really important, if you have not done this already, to really go and visit different regions of the world, to personally go and check out manufacturing facilities. There's only so much you will learn through your agents and friends without having done something like that in terms of due diligence. Mm -hmm. One thing uh, to remind our listeners is we've been talking about support uh china and the impact of the coronavirus uh from the um the perspective of china as one of the world's leading manufacturers but we also do remember china is also now one of the world's top consumers and just like it's important to diversify our supply chains we also need to diversify our consumer bases absolutely absolutely especially luxury uh fashion brands have become very reliant on china dollars both domestically within china and abroad very interesting and it is important to kind of once again appeal to emerging markets as well middle east being one of them yes um to kind of just not have all your eggs in one basket manufacturing or for your consumers as well. Yeah, absolutely, Gio. I think you make amazing points. And working on figuring out supply chains, mapping out resources, and helping folks really understand where they can get value, where they can be further integrated, consolidated, and diversified at the same time is something Gio and I spent a lot of time thinking about doing and working on. So I hope that this was a helpful discussion point for you, our listener, to think about and contextualize this really unexpected and tragic outbreak. And keep in mind as you have these conversations that you are talking about real people Mm -hmm. going through an incredibly tough time in their lives. 
I couldn't have put it better myself, Fatima. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great rest of your day.